Welcome to Diary of a Crowdfunded Film, proudly in collaboration with Brick Studios. I'm Jose Pusella. Join me as I take you on this audio journey with Heath Davis on the making of his new crowdfunded film, Christmas. Welcome back to this ninth episode of Diary of a Crowdfunded Film, bringing you the audio equivalent of the special features on the DVD in this series dedicated to the fourth film by Heath Davies titled Christmas. As always, I'm Jose, but what is not like always is where I'm recording from today. I'm here at the magical Oz Funland. Specifically, I'm guessing this is kind of the front seating area and behind me, um, some amazing displays and rooms. And I'm talking today with a truly remarkable and inspiring individual. He's an accomplished journalist, prolific thespian, creator and co-host of Good Morning MacArthur, and proud proprietor of Lumia's one and only Oz Funland. Thank you for your time, Mr. Wizard of Campbelltown, Brian Lau. How are you going, sir? Oh, great to be with you uh, today. This is fantastic to have you at the Funland. Thank you very much. And before we follow that yellow brick road into this discussion, let me get some housekeeping out of the way. If you enjoyed our last episode as much as Shafali of Alkalizer enjoys a heartwarming Christmas pudding, then please warm your heart to us on the Facebook page, Diary of a Crowd Funded Film, at Twitter, at Diary of a Crowd F1. Subscribe and reshare so the momentum for this podcast and Heat's Film Christmas stays on well past Christmas. All right, Brian. While I was perusing the OzFunland website, I was really drawn to this comment you gave to the MacArthur Chronicle in November 2017. Um, in it, you said, you don't lose your cultural roots, but you use them to contribute to a growing community. That's right. I absolutely love the sentiment behind that um, and wanted to ask where your cultural roots lie and what led you to the shores of Australia. My cultural roots lie in uh, South India, in a place, Madras. It's now called Chennai. So um, I was a journalist there. Theatre was a hobby. And uh, my wife and I ran uh, theatre workshops and later on a a full-fledged theatre group for young people and children. Um, I mean, kids from there have gone on to do great things today, which is really fantastic. It's a credit to them. Absolutely. I'm sure there's some element of um, guidance that you had in mentorship within that. What it, look And speaking of children, I want to go back to maybe asking what age as a child perhaps did you first develop an interest or a love for um, L. Frank Baum's The Wizard of Oz? Uh, strangely enough, The Wizard of Oz came to me rather late right. in life. Um, it was probably just past, maybe high school or just past it when I picked up a book for two bucks on the pavement from a second-hand bookseller. <laughs> it's brilliant. Uh, it was actually a, a sort of a condensed comic version right. of The Wizard of Oz. And um, I think, uh, yeah, I, I was drawn to it instantly. You know, it, it was, yeah, just that journey down the yellow brick road uh, has so much. And as years go, you read more into it. Absolutely. You know, it, it goes far beyond being a fairy tale into a story of empowerment, self-empowerment. Yes. You know, so at the end of it, you really realize that, uh, you know, like the Scarecrow, Tin Man, the Lion, Dorothy, um, you know, as they would go off to see the wizard, you realize at the end of it that each one of us has the power within us to do anything that we dare to do, so long as we believe in ourselves. Beautifully said. And I think to continue on that, 
we all at some point or i guess the tin man dorothy the lion the scarecrow they're all they also represent characteristic traits which are inside of us at all times and it's about trying to find that balance and you know then because some of them have taken the spotlight throughout our life but with that balance like you said and the self-empowerment comes kind of a peace and at the end of the day you find your own you know yellow brick road back to home and i always felt that that home element was being able to feel comfortable with yourself wherever you were that's exactly right because really home is where you make it yes and how you make it i mean for me home was madras till i came to australia how long ago was that uh, we came at the end of the 90s right so 98 uh, okay. yeah we, we we came to sydney on what was initially just to be a you know a short trip and you know let's see how we like it and so for six months that's what we did we went around like starstruck tourists <laughs> you, know, you know going and seeing things and yeah you know i realized that if i wanted to pursue children's theater and that's right. what i really wanted to do this was a great place to do it in. and i was interested in interactive children's theater now that's because correct me if i'm wrong you have a journalism background so I, I am curious how you made that leap from journalism to interactive children's theatre. It's a leap of faith. <laughs> <laughs> I guess much like the characters and what they have to go through in The Wizard of Oz. I mean, 100%. I mean, which other story would you find four totally diverse, unthinkable people bond together and help each other, you know, down a, a, a journey in life that's full of witches and goblins and you know you know what i mean yeah. and and puppies <laughs> <laughs> and flying monkeys <laughs> and flying monkeys exactly so you know as i mean I, i was blessed as a journalist very early in life i got to meet some fantastic people people who i think formed my thinking in my 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 young years so right. i've interviewed everyone from muhammad ali to mother teresa to sir bob uh wow. Goldie Hawn I mean I can I can name names right from them down to ordinary people on the street um the people who I stayed with and um you know and and tribals who I learned so much from who I again lived with to to write stories on them so I've been blessed early in life I mean famous we just the other day we we're talking about choreographers uh you know who, who I had the honor to interview people like Merce Cunningham legends Uh, Rukmani Devi, Pina Bausch, um, and spend days with them. Wow. Um, I was fond, always fond of music. So, you know, any number of musicians from jazz greats like Woody Shaw, uh, yeah, we, we, we spent nights on the booze together. <laughs> Ian Anderson of Jethro Tull. We roamed the streets of Bangalore together buying bamboo flutes. Oh, wow. Uh, I can't play the flute, he does. Uh, so, I think, but somewhere down there was always the fact that theatre held this, held this joy. And there, there comes a time when I think you learn from people. And that's what journalism did to me. I learned from people. And I wanted to share that knowledge. And you can share it 
in so many ways, and one of them is the stage. Um, so with theatre, my wife and I started a theatre group together. Yes. Oh, as soon as we came, we had no idea how much it cost to hire a theatre. We saw a show at the Independent Theatre in North Sydney, and we said, we're going to hire this theatre. And um, I had no idea. I had a check for a hundred bucks in my pocket. <laughs> and, but remember, it's a hundred dollars, which at that time you had to multiply by 57. Wow. So the conversion rate was one is to 56 something, yeah, 57. Yeah. So I thought 5K is a lot of money. And I went to hire this theater. And of course, I was told I would never get it. <laughs> yeah, I was also told that no person of color had ever hired the theater before. Really? Oh, yes. Um, that's all right, because uh, I made such a ruckus over it uh, that, uh, to cut a long story short, the owner of the theatre, um, we became close friends through two subsequent years. A gem of a man, a very encouraging person, Dr. Rodney Seaborn was his name. Right. And um, we did our first season of The Wizard of Oz there. Now, this version of The Wizard of Oz is one that I had written. Oh, okay. So it's not your traditional Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Yes. No. It is a, a version that I thought spoke, or made, uh, uh, let me rephrase that, made the characters speak better to young people. So, for instance, the Tin Man is a rapper. Right. The Wicked Witch rocks. The Scarecrow is a country singer. The Lion sings the blues. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know? And uh, yeah, so uh, that was the version that, that we performed. Uh, we formed our own little group, put an ad out in the Morning Herald saying actors wanted. I didn't have a clue what an actor was paid in Australia. So people came and, and uh, yeah, we just spoke openly and, and we had a production going. Yes. My wife teaches music as well. So she was teaching young people in our, we formed a little theater group. Production grew. Um, a show that people said wouldn't last one weekend uh, completed 5,000 performances in 2019. That's just fantastic. My hat's off to you. That's just amazing. And this was 5,000 performances internationally. Yeah. So we've traveled the world. We've traveled the length and breadth of Australia. You name a country, town, we've been there. Right. And we've performed. But internationally, we've traveled to huge festivals like the Festival of Australia in, in India, in China. Singapore. It's not just the performing. It's also the um, the fact that we like to workshop where we go. So it's that connection with community wherever you go. Both sides learn. We come back with something, they take a risk. I'm gobsmacked. But I, at the same time, I really want to just briefly touch on, you know, of all the countries, because there must have been so many, and obviously countless, too many to remember, but are there perhaps one or two where you felt the reception um, after the performance was really warm or the warmest perhaps? Is there, was there a particular um, area? Good question. See, children are children wherever you go. Yes. And the show is for them. But one of the most surprising reactions I had was in America. Right. We were invited to perform for the International Wizard of Oz Festival there in right. Indiana. And after the performance, we were jet, to be honest, we were really jet-lagged and straight on stage. Um, many international groups there. 
after we performed, an elderly gentleman came rushing into the dressing room. And he said, um, this is a great version of, uh, of Oz. If great-grandpa was alive, he would have been up and dancing and smiling and, you know, clapping along with you. Well, you're saying great-grandpa. Are you talking about he's a great... He's the great-grandson he of L. Frank Baum. Well, I didn't know it at wow. that time. But then he introduced himself to me and he said... Because I was looking at him and going, thank you, thank you. And in my head, I was going, you know, who is this? I, and then he said, uh, he saw, you know, a little puzzlement on my face. And he said, don't worry. He said, you, you know, you, you probably don't know, but uh, L. Frank Baum was my great-grandpa. Wow. <laughs> How did you not just faint <laughs> right there? Well, I almost did. I can assure you. But you know what was good? Why, why I say surprising is we got talking. Yes. And, and I learned a lot from him that he could, you know, insight that he had into us. But what was curious, and it's always been curious to me. You see, Bomb never named the Scarecrow or the Tin Man or the Lion. Initially, they were never named. But when we did a performance, the first thing a child would come and ask you is, what is your name? And you say a scarecrow, yeah, yeah, I know, but what is your name? So I named all my characters. So it's Shaky the Scarecrow, Shiny the Tin Man, Scary the Lion. And he asked me, he said, can I use those names in my reenactment that I do of the story? Wow. Wow. And the, the very next morning, um, he, I was at his his performance, yes. and he used those names. And uh, I, I think we made an inst you know, uh, there was a connection, yeah. as ethereal as it sounds. There was a connection somewhere there. And um, we were invited to perform uh, ad hoc uh, the next morning for a thing they called Breakfast with the Munchkins. <laughs> At that time, there were seven of the original Munchkins from the 1939 MGM movie wow. still alive. Okay. Like Terry Maron, the lollipop kid, or Meinhardt, the, wow. the coroner, Margaret Pellegrini, who was actually a close friend of mine. I, I brought her down to Sydney a couple right, of years right. before that to perform with us here. And so we all did a, an ad hoc, uh, you know, we just impromptu. We did a version of Over the Rainbow together for breakfast. Uh, so America has fond memories. Yeah. What an honor. And I'm guessing I understand when you say you feel truly blessed. Um, you know, life has its ups and downs, but I'm sure that probably felt like a culmination of something you were working towards for a very long time. So I guess, I'm going to guess your favorite version then is the Judy Garland 1939 Wizard of Oz, or do you have another favorite? Because there's been so many incarnations, theatrically, television, and, you know, film. The very first stage version of Wizard of the Wizard of Oz was written by Baum himself. Yes. It was a pantomime. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Which never had a dog. It had a cow. <laughs> Dorothy's, <laughs> Dorothy's pet was a cow. Right. So it was, you know, the, wasn't called Toto, though. No, it, was, it was, what was it? Maybe Clara es Esmeralda, Emeralda. Some, some, uh, I could be wrong. Yes. But, but it was something like that. And I, you know, I looked at that and that's where I got the idea for an interactive version because I went, if Bomb could do a pantomime out of this, that's what it lends itself to. Absolutely. You know, and then through the years, he did a silent version of it as well. 
There's a is that a, there's a black and white one. Is that 1910? I think a couple of black and whites actually. Yeah, okay, okay. One that has uh, do you remember Hardy of Laurel and Hardy? Yes, yes, yes. It has Hardy playing the Tin Man. Oh wow! I have to find that <laughs> version. <laughs> so when you say lots of versions, there are there are so many. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I don't have a favorite. Fair enough. To be honest with you, I mean, uh, the the MGM is is. I suppose, the standard version that we all grow up with. Yes. But the MGM is very different to the book. Starts off with Dorothy's shoes. They were not red in the book. They were silver. But MGM in 1939 was just got its hand on Technicolor. Correct. Silver was a terrible gray on the screen. So they changed it to red. And she walked down, you know, what we, what we know as the That's slippers right, today. Those iconic red shoes. So, look, let's travel from the US back to Australia. Because you mentioned you celebrated the 5,000th show very recently. Where was that performed? It was very special for us to celebrate 5,000 shows at a grassroots level where things began when we started a little children's workshop out in Eastwood and Wright. So, it was really interesting because uh, we had the mayor of... Um, of, of council there very kindly came and honored us at that show it was interesting to have two mayors meet the mayor of munchkinland and the mayor of right <laughs> i like the way you phrase that and what character do you normally play in these shows do you the brainless <laughs> <laughs> the scarecrow. that's really so the question i wanted to ask is you know, how did Good Morning MacArthur come about? Because, I mean, I understand that the name obviously draws inspiration from the Robin Williams or the Barry Levinson from Good Morning Vietnam. I somehow found that at a community level, there are so many inspiring stories that hit me every day. They're what keep me going, please believe me. Yep. You know, at, at your worst moments, you could... You look at an inspiring little child who's done something and you go, wow, you know, that's what life is about. And Good Morning MacArthur started as a platform to be able to tell stories. I mean, we have a motto that says, no story is too tiny to tell. And, you know, because of my wife and I, we, you know, work closely with the community. We support a lot of others in their community initiatives. Um, we run a not-for-profit called Rainbow Crossing, Incorporated, which is basically uh, dedicated to young people uh, and to a multicultural component that I think is such a rich part of the tapestry that makes our society. So, Good Morning MacArthur has grown organically. It was two of us, we were sitting down having a beer, and we just said, listen, there's so many stories not being told, let's tell them. And uh, we started telling them the next day. And we said if 50 people watch it, that would be fantastic. Wow. Uh, last month, we celebrated 100 episodes. And in so telling them, you create community connections. Yeah. We, and I promise everyone listening, we're going to get to Christmas. The element that um, can't be left out, and especially when we're talking about galvanizing, because I want to talk about how Oz Funland and yourself got into contributing and came about hearing about Christmas because you mentioned, you know, Good Morning MacArthur is about telling stories and there's one more now that's being told in the MacArthur area 
with Heath, who's a proud Western Sydney lad. So I'd like to know, how did you get involved in the production? I like what Danny does with Brick Studios. And he's a very inclusive person. Yes. A very uh, collaborative person. And, and, and I think that's the philosophy behind Brick. Now, when he told me, he, he actually told me about uh, Christmas. And I said, uh, we've got to do a piece on Good Morning MacArthur. So he said, uh, yeah, you know, let, let's do it. And Heath was coming down just a couple of days later for something else. And I said, just knock on the door and walk in. And well, let's run a piece. And so we sat down, just like you and I are doing now. We had a chat on camera about Christmas. Was that the, sorry to cut you, was that the first time you'd actually met Heath? Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Danny I know, but I'd never met, met Heath yes. before. But, uh, I mean, listen, he's a lovely person. You know, he works from his heart. And I think he's doing a really good thing, you know, in getting community behind a crowdfunded film. And so we'd love to be a part of it. I think it was very, tell me if you'll agree, that it was rather serendipitous the way it came about. Because he was looking for, you know, I think he'd actually previously been to the beer shed, which is literally like a, not even a half block from here, um, and then scouting for other locations. So it almost feels like kismet in a way. It is. I mean, it's, the universe has strange ways of, you know, bringing people together. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, look, what I'd like to end on is for anyone who may not have listened or is aware of uh, Good Morning MacArthur, how would you describe the program and where can people go and view the 100 plus and growing episodes at the moment? The program is all about storytelling. All of us are storytellers. All of us have stories to tell. The dream is that very soon we're actually launching a community studio where anyone can walk in and use and help us tell stories. That's brilliant. And that's the dream. What I'd like to do, because I've been doing this on the last episodes um, and I want to do the same. I want to hand over the mic, so to speak. And if you want to send out any shout outs or promote anything for Oz Funland, again, for a Good Morning MacArthur um, or anything we're sharing in general, you know, the floor's all yours, Brian. I mean, listen, Jose, I've enjoyed our, our, our chat today and it's really nice of you to, to come here. I hope you, you, you like uh, the Yellow Brick Road. Oh, I absolutely loved it. To anyone out there, Keep telling stories because they're important. And if you want help telling them or you think that a story you have to tell needs a wider audience, come and visit us or send us a message on Facebook. Good morning, MacArthur. Rest assured, someone will get back to you and help you tell that story. Because like we say at Good Morning, MacArthur, no story is too tiny to tell. Thank you very much. I hope our listeners have embraced their inner kids and skipped down the yellow brick road to the tunes of Judy Garland on this episode today. And look, and I'm going to reiterate, as the wizard himself, L. Frank Baum said, a heart is not judged by how much you love, but by how much you are loved by others. So I'm positive that the hearts of this beautiful and ever-growing podcast and Christmas community will continue opening up and embracing their fellow members wherever they reside. And with the New South Wales school holidays just around the corner, perhaps make a day of it with the little ones and head over and see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Campbelltown, Brian Lowell, and his fantastic team at OzFunland. In the show notes, I'll leave a link to OzFunland and Good Morning MacArthur for everyone to check out. Brian, thank you so much for your candidness. I truly enjoyed my time. I really appreciate, just so everyone knows, it is around, it's 11.42 p.m. that we're concluding this. So Brian has been immensely generous. Um, so thank you once again. And to everyone else, until next time, ciao. Thanks for listening to Diary of a Crowdfunded Film. 
subscribe to hear all future episodes, and if you enjoyed the show, leave us a review. For more info, please visit Diary of a Crowdfunded Film on Facebook.